0: All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and open up that to Mark chapter one? Please open to Mark chapter one. If you're a first time guest with us, we don't mind if you use a digital Bible or a paper Bible. We just really want you to have a Bible. If you don't have one, don't worry. I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen for you so you can uh, read along with us, or you can use the Bible tab just over there on the right side next to chat. You can click on Bible and navigate to Mark chapter one. Well, there is a common mistake that Christians make in their approach to the Bible, especially us Western American Christians. And I will confess, I make this exact same mistake as well. The mistake is that when we read a story in the scriptures, we often insert ourselves into the story. And then we take some of the parts of that story and we try to modernize it, twist it into our world today. Let me give you an example. When we read the story of David and Goliath, we make ourselves David, and then the problems that are going on in our life, those are our Goliath. Or when we read about Daniel in the lion's den, if we're facing a lot of, of problems with people at work or at school, we, we think they're against us, they're the lions, and we pray that God would shut their mouths and allow us to mer- emerge out victorious. Now, I wish I could say that it's kind of, you know, people who don't know the Bible very well that make this mistake, but unfortunately, even us pastors do this sometimes as well. Uh, Just this last Sunday, Easter Sunday, there was a celebrity pastor, a pastor of a megachurch, who tweeted an Easter tweet, but it wasn't the typical, he is risen. His tweet said this, You think it's been too long. It didn't happen in time. So you put the stone over the promise, put the stone over the dream, but you have to do your part and roll that stone away. Do you see what he did? He took the Easter story about the resurrection of Jesus and he inserted his readers, his audience into the story. And instead of about it being about Jesus, It became about them and their dream and that the death of their dream and the resurrection of that dream. And all they had to do was roll the stone away and their dream would come back and then God would make it succeed. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because today we're going to look at a story in Mark 1 where you are going to be very, very tempted to insert yourself into the story. Uh, In a little bit, I'm going to explain why you're going to identify with this man And once you do, you're going to want to enter into the story and have what Jesus did for the man, you're going to want him to do it for you. So you have to trust me when I say don't do it. Because if you insert yourself into the story, you're actually going to cheat yourself. You see, when you identify with a character in the Bible, what you do is you're now taking the story and you're twisting it, making it all about you and I'm convinced to do so, actually ends up causing you to lose out. It, it, it costs you something. I mean, maybe you're thinking, okay, but Aaron... I thought the Bible was, was written for me. Like, I thought it was supposed to help me live this life. And I would say, yes, it is. That, I mean, that's why we study this thing every single Sunday. It's why our growth groups discuss it in greater detail. It's why we encourage you, if you're a Jesus follower, to read the Bible every single day. We believe that reading the scriptures helps you to understand how to live this life today. But the stories are not written about you. When you insert yourself into the story you cheat yourself. It actually causes you to get a very short-term, shallow view of the gospel, of life, of God's love. But when you allow the story to be what it's supposed to be, then God does something absolutely incredible. I just realized I really messed this up. I'm so sorry, guys. I actually have to start completely over. I totally, totally messed that up. I really, really apologize. Because if I did that on sun- Sunday morning, I'm not sure what I would do. Okay, we're gonna have to unfortunately try that again. Shoot. Uh, is there a spot you can start? Um. No, it will be better for him if I just start over. All right, Heavenly Father, that's pretty me. <sighs> All right, thank you very much, Matt. If you brought a Bible, uh, please go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 1. If you are a first time guest with us, we don't mind if you use a digital copy of the Bible on your phone or if you use a paper copy. We just encourage you to have a Bible. If you just absolutely do not have one available to you, don't worry, we're going to have the scripture up on the screen so you can read along as I read it out of mine. Or you can navigate over to the uh, right side there of the window. Next to the chat feature, you see say, it says Bible. You can click on that and you can navigate down to Mark chapter one. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, today. So if you want, you can select that. There is a common mistake that Christians, especially American Christians, will make in their approach to the Bible. Uh, what happens, and, and I, by the way, I will confess, I, I make this mistake too. It's something we all struggle with. Here's the mistake we will go. And read a story in the scriptures and we will insert ourselves into that story. And then we take it and we twist it and we try to normalize it into our everyday life here in 2020. I'll give you an example. When we read the story of David and Goliath, we will read it as if we are David. And the problems that we're facing in life, whether it be cancer or, or a lost job or financial issue, that's our Goliath. And we're just praying that God would allow us to slay this giant and we would have victory or we read Daniel in the lion's den. And, and if we're having people who are against us, maybe at work or at school, we pray that they're like the lions and God would shut their mouths and we would emerge out victorious. I wish I could say that uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, uneducated people that make this mistake, but even us pastors make this mistake. Uh, just last Sunday, Easter Sunday, a celebrity pastor of a megachurch, he tweeted an Easter tweet on, on Twitter, but instead of the typical he is risen type of, of tweet that most of us did, uh, his tweet said this. You think it's been too long. It didn't happen in time. So you put the stone over the promise. You put the stone over the dream but you have to do your part and roll that stone away. You see what he did there? He inserted his audience, his readers into the story. And instead of allowing the resurrection story to be about Jesus, he made it about them and their dream, about the death of their dream and how they can see resurrection of that dream. All they have to do is roll that stone away. The reason I'm cautioning you about this today is because as we go into Mark 1, we're going to see a story about a man. And I'm going to explain in a little bit why you are going to want to identify with this man. And then you're going to want what Jesus did for him. You're going to want Jesus to do it for you. And I want to caution you not to insert yourself into the story because I believe if you do so, you actually cheat yourself. Now, perhaps you're thinking, But Aaron, I I thought the Bible was written for me. Well, it it was, but it wasn't. I mean, yes, the the Bible's written for you. It's designed to help you know how to live this life as God designed it. And I I believe the the stories in there can can help lead you in, in understanding what it means to follow Jesus. But when you insert yourself in the story, you now make the story about you instead of the story being about who God intended it to be about. And so you have to ask, well, who is the story about? Well, if you have your Bible open there to Mark chapter one, it tells us, Mark one, verse one. We looked at this uh, what six seven weeks ago. Says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, all of the stories in Mark are about Jesus. They're not about Peter, who actually appears within this book a lot of times. It's not about the people who are being healed, even though we'll see them front and center like we will today. The stories are about Jesus. But I believe that it's not just Mark that's about Jesus. I believe that the entire Bible is about Jesus. The, the, the Old Testament, it, it prophesies, it, it prepares people for the coming Messiah. And then the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present this Messiah to us. And then we can see through the epistles, the rest of the New Testament, they point back to Jesus, to him crucified and resurrected. It's all about Jesus. So I believe that if you take the stories of the scripture and insert yourself into them, you're actually cheating yourself. I think it's gonna give you a very shallow, short-term view of, of life, of the gospel, of God's love, But when you allow these stories to be all about Jesus, then suddenly you begin to get a more robust understanding of the gospel, of God's love, and what he calls you to do and how to follow him. So as we get ready to study Mark 1 and look not at what we can get out of it, but instead look at Jesus, let us pray. So Heavenly Father, I pray you'd help me as I teach uh, here on a Friday night as we record this to show Sunday morning that you would do something that's supernatural, that only you can do. Father, I just confess, I don't like talking to a camera. I miss my church family. I miss seeing people. I I want to speak to them. And so, Lord, I pray that through this wonder of technology, you just would take my words, that you would funnel them through me, through a camera, through a microphone, to the ears and hearts of your people, and you would speak to them, helping call them to do what you call them to do. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to hear loud and clear from you as we look at the teaching of the scriptures that you would teach us how to follow Jesus and not to shortchange ourselves by trying to become one of the characters in the story, that instead we would really put our eyes upon your son, Jesus Christ. So teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, open there to Mark 1, go over to verse 40. We're gonna do verses 40 through 45 today. So Mark 1, starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You ever felt left out? Ever felt like you just didn't belong? I mean, you you may have been one of the most popular people in in school, and, and yet I can guarantee you've had at least one moment where you just realized, I don't fit. Maybe you were the star on the sports team. Everyone loved you. They wanted to hang out with you. But then like somehow you just ended up with, you called them the nerd group. Or maybe there were a group of people who were really, really into country music and you weren't. Or maybe it was the band kids. And as you hung out with them, you just suddenly realized, I don't fit here. Or maybe you were the star soprano in choir. You always got the solo. You got the lead in the musical. Everyone wanted your attention, except when you hung out with the cheerleaders and you just didn't get their jokes. You just didn't feel like you fit. Or maybe you went on a short-term mission trip. You went into this different culture, and suddenly it was so foreign and different that that you just didn't feel like you understood. You felt out of place like an outcast. I I wish I could tell you I've only felt that just a couple of times in my life, but unfortunately, that's been often the story of my life. I, I remember as a kid so often feeling out of place kind of like an outcast, that I just, I couldn't wait to become an adult because I figured once I became an adult, all these stupid societal hierarchies would just be gone and I would finally just be able to to move into adulthood and everything would be fine, only to discover that the outcast moments continue into adulthood. And I've even discovered them moving to a new town and planting a new church. I could still be considered an outcast. We've all felt it. And so because we all know what it feels to be outside, we find ourselves identifying with the leper. Because in Jesus's day, lepers were the lowest of the low. I mean, they were lower than the prostitutes. They were lower than the tax collectors. They were lower than the poor because of their sickness leprosy in the scriptures actually covered a wide range of skin diseases. Uh, The most common one that we think of, though, is what is today known as Hansen's disease. Uh, Kids, if you don't know what Hansen's disease is, it's an infection where a very slow-growing bacteria begins to eat away at your skin and your muscles and your bone, and it starts at the extremities. And it just slowly, as it eats away the nerves, you don't even feel anything. It just starts eating things away. And, And it's your fingers, your toes, your nose. And if you see someone who has Hansen's disease, it would be very Scary. Now, and thankfully, in our day and age, Hansen's disease is actually curable. And so, someone who has it, they can be cured of it and they'll be fine. But in Jesus' day, there, there was no cure. And so, someone who got Hansen's disease, it was like considered a slow death. And people were afraid that they would get it as well. And so, what happened is someone who got this Hansen's disease, who got leprosy, because it scared people to see people whose nose was being eaten away, their fingers were going away, they would kick them out of the town. They had to live in their own communities. And they could not come and interact with everyone else. <laughs> right now, in this pandemic, we're not supposed to be interacting with anyone else. If we're out and about. We're supposed to be wearing a mask. We should be putting on gloves. We need to be washing our hands. We need to be maintaining six foot of distance. Could you imagine that being our life forever? That's what it was like for a leper. They were supposed to stand way far away. They were supposed to call for help. People would bring stuff and leave it. And then the lepers could come and get it later. There was no interaction. They were the outcast. But I want you to notice what this leper did. There in verse 40, it says that he came to Jesus. I, 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 you talk about bold. I mean, to come when he's supposed to stay far away, he approaches Jesus. But not only does he approach him, it says that he implored Jesus. But the word implore means to like plead, to beg, to ask earnestly. He's asking Jesus to heal him, but notice his posture. The next thing we see is that he is kneeling before Jesus. That, that was a sign of respect. In fact, his words there are saying, if you will, basically by, by kneeling down before Jesus, he, he's surrendering saying, if you will, I know you can, but if you will, make me clean. So he's imploring him. So his, his words are heal me, but his body language is saying, you do what is right. How does Jesus respond? Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Why is Jesus moved with pity? Well, as God the Son, he was there with the Father and the Spirit when they created all things. And everything that God creates is perfect. And so when God created humans and the earth and everything, it was beautiful. Everything was pristine. So for Jesus to be now standing on his created earth, looking at a created human and seeing his suffering, seeing his pain, it's a reminder to Jesus that this is not the way that the Father and the Spirit and I intended this to be. This was a reminder that sin was ruling and railing. And this is why Jesus came to earth, to undo the kingdom of sin and establish the kingdom of God. So it broke Jesus' heart to see a beloved child of God living like this. And so it moved him with pity, and he reached out and healed him. But I want you to notice how Jesus healed him. It says here that he stretched out his hand. Now, the, Mark's readers would understand two things here. By, by Jesus stretching out his hands, it would indicate to them a couple of things— uh, the first thing, the hand was often seen as like a sign of strength. It was your work. Uh, imagine a king who's, uh, who's making a decree. He might extend out his hand and say, I declare. And it's like by extending his hand, he's saying all of my authority, all of my power, all of my position, my title goes into this decree. This is how it will be. So for Jesus to extend his hand, it's like he's saying, Mark's saying to the readers, this is King Jesus. He's he's putting out a decree and he's saying, this is how it will be. This man is healed. But not only does Jesus extending his hand show his authority, it also shows he cares. Think about it. It says here that Jesus reaches out his hands and touches the man. But we've already seen two weeks ago in the synagogue, as Jesus is showing he has authority over the scripture, a man with an evil spirit comes into the synagogue and starts getting into an argument with Jesus, trying to out-Jesus, undermine him. And Jesus, with a word, silences the demon and kicks him out of the man. There's other uh, stories in the scriptures of people coming to Jesus saying, Hey, would you heal someone? He's like, Okay, yeah, you got it. He doesn't even see the sick person, he just says the word, and they're healed. So Jesus does not need to touch this guy. The guy could come, kneel before Jesus, say, if you will, heal me. Jesus say, all right, yeah, you got it. And just with a word, the guy could be healed. But Jesus doesn't do that. He extends the hand and touches the man. And by touching the man, he not only restores him physically, he restores him socially. This to me is a true pro-life ethic. In our day and age, when we hear the term pro-life, it's a uh, a political word meaning anti-abortion. But I believe to truly be pro-life means that you are pro-life from womb to tomb. It doesn't mean you're just pro-baby. It means that you are pro-orphan. You are pro-widow. You are pro-the shut-in. You are pro-the elderly. You are pro-people of different skin color. You are pro-people who have different political views than you. You are pro All people, because they bear the image of God. You see, within Christian theology, we believe that when God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created mankind, they said to themselves in Genesis 126, let us make man in our image. And so when they created Adam and Eve, the image of God was put in them. And all people since have have been born with the image of God in them. Now, sin has kind of cracked and marred and torn that image, but it's still there. So because if you're a Jesus follower, you are to love and respect God. So therefore, if you love and respect God, you are to love and respect that which bears his image. So if it has human DNA, if it has a beating heart, you are to love, you are to respect, you are to seek to protect that life. That's what it means to be pro-life. And that's what we see here from Jesus. He is pro-life. He is pro this man who's been enslaved in leprosy. And he heals him. He touches him and restores him back into the community, showing he has worth and value. Despite the sickness, it's now gone and he can be welcomed back by the people. But then something really, really interesting happens. It's down there in verse 44. Jesus has healed the guy. And then he says to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, what, what's going on here? Do you, do you think Jesus is, is a, a little bit scared that, that uh, you know, if people find out that he did this? Maybe, maybe Jesus like, feels like he needs to kind of hide? I, I don't think so. You see, he refers to Moses— Back in Leviticus 14, uh, Moses is believed to have written the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus is one of those. In Leviticus 14, God gave Moses these commands to give to the Israelite people. And in Leviticus 14, it's these rules of what to do if they are cleansed of leprosy. And what they were supposed to do was come to the priest with two birds. The priest was supposed to examine them, figure out that they truly were healed, and then they offer these two birds as a sacrifice. One was going to be killed, kind of to indicate that the leprosy has been killed, and the other one was to go free, to show the person has been freed of their leprosy. And by doing that, they could verify the person was healed, and in their day and age, they knew only God could heal like this. Well, for Jesus— To tell this man to go to the synagogue, present himself to the priest to take the offering, it would require this proof. It was going to verify the miracle. And what would end up happening, I think Jesus suspected, the priest would ask the man and the man would say, well, I was healed because of Jesus. And it would be proof that Jesus is God because only God can heal like this. So I don't think Jesus is trying to hide I think Jesus is trying to say, hey, I have authority over all things, even this sickness as bad as leprosy. If you have been binge watching Netflix or Hulu constantly for the last two months and have no clue what's going on, let me catch you up. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's this thing called COVID-19 and it's running rampant. It turns out that it can be caught and spread fairly easily. The death rate right now is 4% of those who get it die. And the large majority of those on that 4%, they have usually underlying health issues like diabetes, heart issues, lung issues, and it leads to their death. And kind of like leprosy, it's a slow death. Now, it's not nearly as slow as that Hansen's disease. It's not nearly as slow as like most cancers, but it's definitely slower than a car crash. And so what is happening is there are people who are getting COVID-19. It is ravaging on their lungs, their organs. It's been awful for some of them. And what they will be tempted to do is look at a story in Mark 1, 40 through 45 and try to imagine themselves as the leper. And if they just follow the formula and they come to Jesus, then maybe he would heal them. So they're thinking, I just need to boldly come in prayer. I, I-, I need to implore Jesus. I, I need to do. Th- I don't want you to follow a formula, because my fear for you is that if you try to follow some sort of formula to get a healing, what's going to end up happening is you may end up being disappointed. I fully believe that Jesus can heal you. I, I- I'm one of those crazy people that actually believes that the Bible isn't just a, a collection of stories and fables; that it's actually history. And so the story we've read today, I truly believe, happened. So I know Jesus has the power to heal. I also know people who have received healing. Just this past week, I I had someone, uh, a friend back in Cedar Rapids, text me asking me to pray for her dad. Her dad had COVID-19. He had been on life support for 12 days. They didn't think he was going to make it. On Thursday, he woke up. And then on Friday, she texted me another thing, an image from a CAT scan of her uncle and how he had been, his body ravaged with cancer. You could see it in the CAT scan. And now like three months later, four months later, it's all gone. It's a miracle. She is like praising God for her dad's beginning recover and her uncle. To her, this is a miracle. So I know God can heal. But God not only has the power to heal, He also has the wisdom to decide when and if he's going to heal. And that's where it gets hard. And so that's why I don't want you to follow some sort of formula because God may not answer the prayer exactly the way you want. So that's why I caution you, don't insert yourself into the story because you might end up being really sad and disappointed and frustrated with God. Now, I will say this. If you're going to ignore my advice, my encouragement, and you're still going to insert yourself in the story, then at a minimum, you have to do the third thing that we saw the, the leper do. And that was that he kneeled before Jesus. This is like a servant coming before a king, laying prostrate, asking the king for something, yet realizing the king has all authority. So this king can decide to give it or to ignore it. Even in the words of the, of the leper, He's like, if you will. In other words, it's up to you, Jesus. You are God, you know all things, I trust you. So if you want to heal me, thank you. But if you choose not to, I will trust you. That is true faith. Faith is not trying to go to God and demand him do something for you. Faith is saying, God, I trust you. And so please go ahead Ask God for the healing. Ask him to heal your loved one who has the coronavirus. Please ask him because you never know. He may say, yes, this is the right thing. It may move his heart with pity and he'll say, I will do this. But when you ask him, as you prostrate before him, if he says, I've got something better, then you have to say, okay. Remember, we saw two weeks ago, Isaiah tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. He knows what is best. So don't reduce this to a, a, a story where you insert yourself in and try to demand something of God. Instead, you be, if you're going to be like the leper, be prostrate before the father and just say, whatever you decide is best. I implore you, I plead, but you decide. I'm yours. If you're going to insert yourself into the story, I'm going to encourage you, to don't focus so much on the leper. Actually, I'm going to encourage you, if you're going to insert yourself in the story, look at Jesus. Because at Riverwood, we understand the idea of being a Christian means to be a Jesus follower, to, to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And so as you look at the story, we actually need to be looking at Jesus and understand, how did Jesus show love? How did he live in this moment? And that gives us an understanding of how therefore we should live somewhat. And how does Jesus live in this moment? How does he show love? He extends his hand to the outcast. I would love for Riverwood to be a church that loves like this. To be the type of church that reaches out and loves the outcast. Our world, they, they think they understand love, but the, the world's love, it, it's, it's fickle. It, it's very self-centered. You know, we, we live in a society that it's all about love and they want us to be tolerant. But if you don't do things exactly as they say, th- then they won't love you. I mean, they, they will, if you have the right skin color or you, or you have the right politics or if you have the right theology or if you have the right resume, if you have the right looks, if you have the right whatever, then they will love you. But if you don't fit within their definition, then they will not love you. They will cast you out and it's what's called cancel culture. But as Christians, I don't think to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived is to cancel someone and cast them out. I think it is actually to honor and respect the image of God within them. Now this this is hard. This is so incredibly difficult because first of all, you're going to have some people who look at the type of love you give and they're going to think you're wrong because they want you to cast them out because to love them looks like you're just accepting them. I am not calling for you to uh, suddenly accept their politics, to uh, excuse their, their lifestyle, to, to suddenly say everything that they say and believe is just A-OK. But I am asking you to show kindness, to reach out a hand, to be a friend, to listen, to love, Because as much as you may disagree with that person, image of God is in them. And that image deserves your respect. But if you need one more way to be pushed this direction, to be more like Jesus, then all you need to do is don't look at the leper. Look at yourself. Because the gospel tells us that you and I, we were outcasts that in the kingdom of God, you had to be perfect. But because of sin, we were far from perfect, the exact opposite of perfection. And so we could not come to God. We were the lepers, We were the outcasts. We were sick with sin. It was eating us away. We were spiritually dead. And yet Jesus, through the cross, reaches out, touches us, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we could be welcomed back into the kingdom of God, reconnected with our creator, and outcast no more. So if Jesus could do that for us, then we can do it for others. So if you're going to insert yourself in the story, don't settle to be the leper. Be like Jesus. Love like he loved, live like he lived, and reach out and care for the outcast. Heavenly Father, It's one thing for me to preach this. It's another thing for us to live this. And so I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, you would begin to help us to see how we can apply this into our life. If that there is a difficult person at work or at school or in our neighborhood, that we would figure out how to love them. If there's someone in in our community that we see other people pushing out, that they are the outcast, that we might be the type of people who would reach out and love them to, to be a friend. God, we pray right now that you would end this pandemic that you just with a word, with a touch of your hand, you would stop this. We know you possess the power and capability to do it. But God, we also know that you have the wisdom to know when to stop this and how you can call us to live like you in the midst of these days. So Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom, a heart of love, that you would help us to know how to reach out and help the outcasts during this time. Because God, you call us to love. You called us to be a blessing. So help us to be gospel-motivated, to be like Jesus, to give our life, to help show your love to people because they need you. Make us more like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.